We are here in the wild, watching the comedian in action. I just almost bad like a sheep. Why was that with my instinct? This is why I don't do improv. A sheep in the wild, everybody. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Jesse's not playing along. Jesse is so tired. And I told you, I'm bad on cue. That's if right. somebody you- tells me to be funny, I am the most boring human Listen, alive. Listen, no one should be funny on cue. Well, I mean... Stand-ups? <laughs> <laughs> Improvs? But when I think of you, it's like, be funny now! No one's ever funny. Everyone's like, here, now be funny. Be funny. It's Why, why are you not being horrible. funny? That's sort of the equivalent of, what do I know you from? What have you been in? Ugh. List your resume. No, I don't know any of those. All right. Great, glad we had this talk. You know where you know me from? Hell. Oh, I'll see you there, Mom. I'm just kidding. I love you, Mommy. No, I'm thinking, I know you from hell because I can see the future. <laughs> oh, okay. Ready graphics? Ready theme? I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. Murphy Brown's book of pranks. What I call her Kermit mouth laugh. Should we have a moment of silence for Close the Door? Jesse, for the random info. Ding. Ding. How jaunty. Problem bees. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season one, episode 18, Funny's Girl. Hi, everyone. It's Lauren. Hey, it's Jesse. And welcome. Welcome back. We are talking about an episode that is an episode. Yes. I'm trying to do like a different opening and sound less like canned. This is what I say when we open an episode. I know. But now I just sound weird. But we're keeping it. Okay. Uh, today's episode is um, a bit of a take on the play musical movie Funny Girl. You may have heard of it. My father sure did. We were talking about before we started this that um, my dad had particular love of the movie In and Out, starring Kevin Klein, because my dad was a straight man who loved Barbara Streisand. And when I was homesick from school, he would usually make me drive with him to the movie rental place and get Funny Girl and Funny Lady and make me watch them. Wow. And Funny Lady? Yes. We, you had to get the full scope of Babs's work. <laughs> see, it's funny. I did not see Funny Girl until I was um, uh, an older teen because Hello, Dolly would be on TV all the time. Oh, yes. And I didn't understand until college that Hello, Dolly or Dolly Levi was not a Jewish yenta. So this episode is a play on that title. Mm-hmm. It is directed by Barnett Kelman and written by Tom Seeley and Norm Gunsenhauser. Yes, and we have talked about Norm, and you have met Norm through us. Um, so we wanted to read uh, Tom's bio. Yes. So this is Tom's bio from the book we talk about all the time, Murphy Brown, Anatomy of a Sitcom, from 1990 by Robert S. Alley and Irby B. Brown. Ooh, that's fun to say, Irby B. Brown. It is. Ooh. So Tom Seeley was born in Pontiac, Michigan in 1955. He grew up in Rochester, New York, Kinnelin, New Jersey, and New York City. As of 1990, when this book was written, it says he is presently growing up in Los Angeles. (laughs) He and his partner, Norm Gunsenhauser, spent two years on staff at Newhart, which we talked about with Norm. Prior to that, they spent several years freelancing for such shows as Cheers and Who's the Boss? A two-time Olympic medalist in the bobsled, this former Rhodes Scholar has trouble distinguishing truth from fiction. Married to Princess Elizabeth of Malta, Tom has 12 children and a golden retriever, Rex. (laughs) Oh, I love those, and I think we're done with them, and it makes me sad. I know, I love reading their bios. I would like an update from everyone. Yes. <laughs> and this episode aired April 10th, 1989. And before we get into the episode, uh, Norm sent us some thoughts. Oh, some great thoughts. So we thought we would start with a few of them and then end with a few of them. Yeah. So he said that Funny's Girl incorporated two of my interests back then, drawing comic strips and The Wizard of Oz, which I still think is one of the 
most well-written movies in movie history. So I wouldn't say Wizard of Oz is a movie that I often hear people talking about as far as its writing. Yeah. I obviously was really transformative well, in many yeah. ways. But people I take it for granted, I think. It's yeah. just a great movie. I love hearing that somebody loves it for its writing. And he says, not to mention how advanced the special effects were. Most, he says most of them were definitely affected by this movie. He remembers watching it as a child behind the safety of our gray chair in the living room. The theme of going home as a writer is, I believe, the most relatable, magical, basic human emotion a person can feel. Which I love. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It reminds me of, there's a quote from Paulo Coelho about um, the, the two stories that exist in the world that we just keep rewriting. I believe it's going on a quest and the hero returning home. Oh, yeah. I think are the two stories that he thinks are constantly being told in various forms. Um, he says that that theme seems to always work in many of his favorites, like Lost in Space, E.T., The Time Tunnel, Lost, episodes of The Twilight Zone, every Lassie episode, etc. Anyway, he says, I couldn't and still can't draw to save my life, but I partnered up with a friend of mine because she could. I wrote the funny captions and she illustrated. Liza and I were going to become famous, uh, or comic strippers? <laughs> we were going to call our strip Keyhole. It never happened. Also around that time, Tom used to make fun of the comic strip Mary Worth, which is mentioned in this episode. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. He says, so we put that all into the Murphy jumbler and turned it on puree and came up with the idea of Murphy being harassed or trolled before trolling was a thing. And how she would handle a guy who not only stepped over that line, but lied to her face about ending it. Norm says, it's not one of my favorite episodes because it was just not a strong enough story, but it was fun humiliating Murphy in the office. I'm hankering for a hunk visualizing Miles as Toto, and then seeing our gang turn on each other. So let's go into the episode. Let's do this. So the song may seem, if you don't know the history, a little <laughs> odd. It does. However, the song is It Feels Like the Whole World is Watching by Take Six. It was written by Stephen Dorff, who is a notable music royalty of TV. Yes. The fun story that Lauren was about to get to is that this was supposed to originally be the theme for the show. And thank God it wasn't. Yes. It would have been a very different feeling. Yes. It, in, and it would have kept the show stuck in a past exactly. that it wasn't because this show is, was for the future of television. Mm -hmm. It would have really dated it. And it's a very, it's a different feel than all of the other music that we've opened to. Yeah. It really, it does stand out. I think it works very well for this episode. I'm glad they used it. But I, I, I talk a lot about um, Star Trek Enterprise and how I feel like that show was ruined from the get-go with their theme song. A lot of people say that. It sounds like a Michael Bolton knockoff, and it makes no sense. Anywho, so this song was recorded by Take Six, which is an American a cappella gospel music sextet. Say that three times fast. Uh, they were formed in 1980, so this is one of the newer groups that we that we hear from. Yeah. Uh, they were originally called The Alliance, um, but when they signed to Warner Brothers in 1987, they changed their name to Take Six. And they also sang the theme song to the TV series Martin. By the way, I think that this has no connection to it at all. Mm -hmm. But when I was looking for the song, mm -hmm. articles and information about the Democratic Convention in 68 came up hmm. because this was a chant mm -hmm. that they would say. Mm -hmm. The whole world is watching. Exactly. And I, I, I don't think that that's really what the reference is. It's, hey, everyone's watching Murphy Brown. Exactly. And like somebody's drawing a caricature of you. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but the theme song in general meaning as well yes. that, you know, she's famous and everyone's watching and mm -hmm. things like that, which is a theme Yeah, she of lives the show. a public life. Exactly. But I thought that was interesting considering Murphy's history. Well, and also what we're in right now. Yes, well. Well, the whole world sure is watching. Mm -hmm. Can I say something really fun? Sure. So uh, caricature comes from the word, the Italian word um, caricare. And it means to overload. 
Really? Uh-huh. So to overload the senses, senses with all the extremity of the huh. features. Oh, okay. And to, you know, so like we, talk, I have a couple articles that I'm going to share in the show notes, but they talk about, you looked at Obama and like the face got very skinny and then the ears got very big. And you yeah. Just, you over-exaggerate everything, overloading the senses. But speaking of my love of pencil history, oh. this person's drawing with a, with a Stadler Mars pencil they were very they still are very popular actually and they run the gamut from uh 9h which is the hardest to all the way to 9b which is the softest i paused it i'm pretty sure this person's drawing with a 5b or it's an it's either a 5b or an hb it was really hard to tell but it's definitely b see this was very nostalgic for me because i used to draw Mm -hmm. i found a lot of my old drawings when i was cleaning out my parents house Mm -hmm. yeah oh i found so many uh some of the actors from murphy brown were pictures but um i used to use that kind of pencil like i remember that yeah i knew this one specifically from art class um something i forgot to mention as well is that on the liner notes for because this this song is also on the murphy brown soundtrack Mm -hmm. is that there's little descriptions i couldn't find it i wanted to read from it i'm sorry i can't find it i'm sure someone else has it out there i'll get through it eventually when i clean out all of my old room Murphy says that she, the people think that the Shasha, was it Shana Murphy Brown mm-hmm. kind of thing? Is, she goes, they're not saying shut up, Murphy Brown. It totally sounds like it. <laughs> it does, yeah. And so I kind of love that they sort of put that in Murphy's voice. And then we cut quickly to the studio. And Murphy's in the middle of an interview wearing the necklace from uh, Einstein. She's been wearing it for a couple of it looks episodes. It like the same outfit almost. Oh, I don't know. It's it's still the neutral tones. It's True. the light jacket. It's a, It's... Yeah, but it's she's not got, that it's not going, that cream no, it's wrap not the thing. Exact same, yeah, but it looks so similar. Yeah, but the necklace is starting to come in. And at first, when I was watching this, I went, "Oh, that guy's from Brothers," which is a Showtime show my mm-hmm, dad used mm-hmm. to watch. And then I realized, no, he is from my childhood, though. Mm-hmm. He's from Ryan's Hope. Yeah, that's how I know him. <laughs> and so we have another soap star. And um, I was super into Ryan's Hope, so I would come home from kindergarten and watch Ryan's Hope, and then The Love Boat. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing, of course, it was in kindergarten. Yes, you know, in first grade, and. One of our favorite people from Star Trek and eventually an episode of Murphy Brown, mm-hmm. Kate Mulgrew, yes. started as yeah. his sister on Ryan's Hope. Yeah. So a little sort of connection Kate there. Kate Mulgrew, I love her. Yeah. Um, so he's he's talking about um, the decline in the savings and loan companies, the economy. It's just going to bounce back. I have to say, I remembered that she did something and she becomes a laughing stock. I decided not to spoil myself before I rewatched this to figure out what it was mm-hmm. and see if I thought it was as shocking as everyone else did. And so I forgot that it was about, she talks about how handsome the dude is. And all I have written is when they show him, I just go hubba hubba. I think that's maybe because she tends to interview a lot of, well, I guess not that many unattractive people. He just looks very like classically 80s handsome to me. Yes. And I just wrote, what was the casting call for this? Slash I'm also now thinking about like, how we in the Me Too movement complain a lot about the women's casting calls and how objectifying they are. And so I want to know how objectifying this one was because the entire point is he's supposed to be a hunk. See, because of Ryan's Hope, I I think that he just seems dad-like to me. Oh, weird. So that's why I kind of go, oh, okay. Yeah. He's he's like my dad. I don't know. There's some hot dads. That's true. I'm not saying that dads aren't hot. But I can see that. I Maybe also they... Maybe they just went to him for it because he's a soap dude. Maybe and so people are pretty. Probably. I mean, this is, he left Ryan's hope. Yeah. Hubba hubba, Doctor Keller. And uh, he decides that the economy is going to bounce back. That's nice to hear. Thank you so much. Um, it just reminded me of today, and I was like, "Oh, really, guys? Is it? Yeah. Is it though?" 
So, Miles, um, at the end of the interview, reminds everybody that they're going to be doing some act-casual banter mm, in a friendly right. manner during the credits. You know, it's funny. I had forgotten when this episode was, that it was season one, until mm -hmm. I was doing research for off-the-job experience, mm -hmm. and it came across certain people who were suspended from the air because of hot mics. Hot mic. Hot, hot mics. No one's happy about this. Jim says this stinks. <laughs> he does. I love that he hates it. That's the thing about Jim. You know, he's he's refined and he he's the guy of a certain generation. But if he doesn't like something, he's pretty honest about it. He says so. He says darn so many times this episode. It makes me so happy. It feels very Minnesotan to me. Uh, Frank sticks out his tongue and makes <laughs> noise. Uh, and then Miles asks if he's done, if he's through, and he does it again. He finishes. He's he's through. And so no one is happy to do this, but they they do their banter over the credits. This is the longest time we've heard the FYI theme song, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, went, I actually wasn't sure it looped that long. Yeah. <laughs> and it has a little change there. And I went, oh, I've never heard this part of the song. I didn't oh, remember this. How jaunty. So uh, first of all, I thought you would love, I made a note for you, Jesse. Is it the stories? The stories. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to do the stories? Oh, I will. Yeah. Next week, Murphy will be interviewing New York Mayor Ed Koch. Frank investigates fraud in the FDA. Lots of Fs there. Frank investigates fraud in the FDA. Corky goes to dinner with the Van Patten family. Aww. So the Van Patten family, long story short, very famous kind of uh, celebrity royalty family that everyone knows about. There are many Van Pattens. Look them up. The they're women, nice. They're very nice. That's what the thing about Corky, right, is that she the Van nice. Patten family. They're just so nice. It's not the Kardashians. No. Uh, I have a great link I'm going to share with everybody that is a, a blogger trying to remember all the Van Pattens and find out where they all are. <laughs> Most people know the patriarch, who is Richard Vincent Van Patten, also known as Dick Van Patten. They're, I feel like they're like the anti-Baldwins. Oh. They're very nice. And there's many of them. And most of them are handsome. I used to watch Eight is Enough. Yes. A lot. Reruns of Eight is Enough. I was super into Eight is Enough. Mm -hmm. I liked it a lot. I like that also that John calls this... Their banter, your happy talk? Yes, I forgot about that. He's like, happy talk, everybody. But why do the men go chat with the men and the women to the women? Yeah, well, why can't they just turn to the person next yeah, to them? Yeah, I know. That was a little... It's fine. I'm not actually bent out of shape. I was just like, really? You guys had... Maybe they wanted movement. Maybe it was disgust. That's true. They movement. wanted a little visual movement. I, I was just like, really? <laughs> yeah, I believe but in that. I, I'm going to go with visual interest. So Jim and Frank are, t are chatting about beating up Miles, throwing a blanket over him in the parking lot. He'll never know. Uh, so Corky is taking this very seriously, and she's talking to Murphy about how much she really liked her piece. She's actually trying. She's being a professional. Yeah, well, you know. Murphy says he's fascinating, all right. He's a major league hunk. He's got the principal, I've got the interest. <laughs> the crew laughs. <laughs> and they laughed. Uh, show's over. John goes, nice show, people. Go spend some quality time with your loved ones. Uh, Miles can't believe what Murphy did. You know, she, she couldn't play it straight. She had to fool around. He informs her that it went live, what she just said. And she goes, what? We took our mics off. And then Frank notices Corky's mic and goes, uh, Corky, what's that? Oops. Oops. I, I keep noticing that Frank's reaction to Corky this season is very different than I remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very different. It's interesting. I think their sort of relationship, I guess, built. Well, they all well, start to respect her more. Yeah, but I was just going to say, I think of, of the gang's relationships... Frank and Corky is the one that has not been examined in any way yet. That's true. They haven't had really any, aside from a little banter here and there, there have been no episodes that include them kind of teaming up for anything, yeah. aside from Einstein that just happened where she's treating him like an exhausted mom. 
Hmm. Like, we've yet to see them really interact. So that kind of makes sense. I love that Murphy goes, oh, come on. I never use the word hunk. It's not even in my vocabulary. And she laments very loudly that no one watches the credits. You know, they're off in the kitchen. And then mistakenly asks the crew, who all raise their hands. Well, and so does the gang behind her. Yeah. The gang's like, I want to. She just thinks it's narcissistic. that They're all just wanting to see their names go by. Yeah, that's how it works. It makes sense a crew stays. <laughs> and Miles just berates her, you know, that she never liked the idea. She hated it all week. She fought him. That now she's being punished. And Miles really has been standing up to her lately and just treating her like a normal person and not like someone on um, a pedestal. Not that he really did, but I think he was a little sort of, you know, skittish around sure. her. Yeah. And that maybe the next time she'll think about this embarrassment before scorning one of his ideas that he stayed up late, missing meals... Canceling a date with Vicky. I'll, I'll do anything for a promotion, Anderson. Same thought here. I went, ooh, me, me too? too? Yeah. Nice, yeah. Miles. I do not like Miles this episode. No. I don't. And first of all, ew. I know what the joke is. I yeah. get what the joke is. Yeah. I get that it's a joke. As somebody who's a female in the workforce, ugh, I hate it. Also because he's saying it in such a childish way, and he's just whiny. I just don't like him this episode at all. And I had a thought about, I feel like the character who's going to be best served in the headcanon with this revival is Miles. Because I really, if if this particular Miles was not seen later written into a revival, I think my brain is like, oh, you grow into such a D-bag if you can get away with jokes like this. Yeah, but I I don't think this he is He doesn't throughout the show. That's what I was But this say. particular guy, I'm just like, "Oh, I hate you. You turn into the person who's like, "I don't mean it. It's fine." It's interesting going back. I feel like Miles and Eldon are the two characters that changed the most, not necessarily within the series, but within the first season and the second season. Exactly. They they make Eldon less of a misogynist mm-hmm. and give things to Miles that that seem this feels out of character. That this is the kind of stuff they would give to a different character later yep. on. It, uh, yeah, not happy with him this episode no. as well. But, but this I, line particularly. And I just want to clarify that Miles is a much better person by the end of this show, and he grows up a lot. Yeah. But if this Miles had continued, thank goodness he gets a revival because we get to prove that he doesn't turn into a massive. Yeah. But we egg. we got eight, eight. We seasons got time to the, for him to grow up exactly and be be the Miles that we remember. So he hopes she's happy, but I wrote Murphy is not happy. So we open on Murphy's townhouse. We see Murphy come sprinting down the stairs. She is in pajamas with sushi on them. They're like dark green and it just looks like a bunch of like sashimi all over it. Finally, I wrote Murphy PJs. Murphy PJs. I love them. I also want those PJs. I've been actually recently talking to a friend about how I miss the, what I called like my childhood old school two piece pajama sets instead mm-hmm. of just an old t-shirt and you know shorts to bed and i was like oh i want those pjs they're so cute also they're green but this is classic murphy yep like before we had a nice uh, white silk outfit and yeah, no. another silk robe over it and i meant to say it during mama said that's not murphy no. the murphy we become is these sort of this wild, mess this mess <laughs> but these wild fun pajamas and these you know sort of kimonos with interesting designs on them and so i got very excited that it's finally murphy pjs yes i love them they're also they're really cute they're totally um, cute great color green and a one curler in her big hair yeah what i don't what just one She's sprinting down at the same moment that Eldon is coming in. I love that he doesn't even react. He just moves out of the way, lets her out the door. She sprints outside. He lets the door close. 
he's got his tool bucket with him. He's got breakfast in a clearly what is breakfast in a little uh, brown paper bag. I love that he's back in his pink and black, per usual. Just for you, Jesse. Just for me. He says, another day at the crazy ladies. Good morning, handiwork. Papa's home. This may be my favorite thing he's said so far this season. It's so good. <laughs> and then we hear a bang, bang. She's screaming Eldon from outside. Bang, bang, Eldon. Bang, bang, bang. Eldon, let me in. Who is it? <laughs> my question is, mm-hmm. this door doesn't look like the type that locks behind you. <laughs> It's not like a New York City apartment building where they self-lock and you always need to have your keys with you. I mean, he does do a thing when he grabs it, it sounds like it automatically unlocks something inside. So it might be the door has that mechanism. I'm just not used to doors of that style locking behind you. Well, it's a front door. So it has to lock. I know, but I like, it doesn't, I don't know. Maybe they were more popular than I remember back then. And how did he get in if it locked? He didn't have keys in his hands. I'm just saying, I have questions. Someone answer me. So she comes in ranting about old man Swenson because he's always stealing her paper and she rants and she's angry about it. Turns out Eldon already has it for her. Mm-hmm. Also, if I may, continuity. Old man Swenson comes she's, up a lot. Again, and later there's a continuity thing that I've written down where she mentions Murray at the newsstand. Yes, and Ernie. Yeah, good yes. job, team. Good job, guys. Like, Murray. So she's ranting about the, the newspaper. Turns out Eldon has it. And she goes, oh, I'll have to replace his car antenna. Wah, wah, wah. Wow, she is quick also. That was a quick round of rage and... And vandalism. She's done this for a while. It's her, it's her thing. She's like, oh, I haven't heard that in a while. She should write a prank book. <laughs> she should, actually. Murphy Brown's book of pranks. Because we mentioned in a, in the next episode, short sheeting. Yeah. Which I don't know if anybody... I always wondered... I I, may, I, may, I think I made this up in my head. I don't think this is a real thing. Uh-huh. So I'm pretty sure that, that she probably has a really great detailed book with like every prank she's ever done. I 100% believe it has the tabs. Year. It is yeah. it has lines going to things and like notes on in the margins about what worked well the last time to adjust for the next time she eventually 100%. put it on a floppy disk yep now it's on a usb absolutely you know, it's in the hard, cloud it'd be a hard track it's in the cloud it's in the cloud it's right in now. the cloud so eldon informs her that they were all out of her favorite colombian blend so we got her second favorite which i had to play multiple times it's cinema mocha decaf decaf in the morning this is okay two things one i kept thinking i was like there's no way it's called cinema it must be cinnamon no he specifically says cinema mocha decaf and her second favorite coffee in the morning is a decaf? Yeah, I thought that was weird. That and is I, strange. And I don't drink coffee. Why not cinema mocha? Why the decaf? I know it sounds great. It's really fun to say. Oh, maybe they don't make it in non-decaf. Uh, yeah, and that was my other question. Like, maybe she just likes that flavor so much, she'll not get the drug of waking up? Okay, it's fine. He wants to discuss a topic with her. He knows she's become very accustomed with this little morning ritual. While he's speaking, she has grabbed the paper and is just flipping through like a maniac mm-hmm. and not listening to this little no. monologue he has. I love that we're establishing they have a little ritual. Yeah, he comes in, he brings her the coffee, and he's saying that he knows she likes this ritual, but she supposedly makes big bucks and she could buy a decent coffee maker. Also, he goes into a rant about how styrofoam cups are not biodegradable. Personally, he doesn't know how long he can participate in this careless disregard for the environment. Not to mention, it's spilled all over his truck. That's really the big point. That's really the point. Turns out, she didn't hear a word he said. Nope. She says, oh good, there was nothing about last night. And he says, here, let's sit back and celebrate the moments of our lives. For those of you who don't know this reference, this is a Maxwell House Coffee International Cafes reference. Correction. Oh, am I saying it wrong? It's actually... General Foods International, oh, yes. who then was 
adjusted to Maxwell House International Cafes because I found an old ad for it, which I will be linking from YouTube. It's amazing. You must. And I remember this. So like that little canister. Me too. So well. But I'd forgotten it was the canister. I remember Mm -hmm. that it was Maxwell House Coffee. Mm -hmm. But when I found the little video, I went, oh, the little cafe things. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So, So something interesting is General Foods International removed coffee from the name of the beverages huh. to accommodate the non-coffee beverages. Interesting. That still, that, uh, and the line still exists. And a lot of people mistake this slogan to celebrate the moments of your life uh, with share the moments of your life from Kodak. This was a campaign from 1988, so it's a very mm-hmm. recent campaign. Yeah, so people actually are going to laugh yeah. and doesn't know what that means. He doesn't know what she's talking about as far as what's not in there, so he goes, oh, the funnies, opens them, says Mary Worth has good advice. But Mary Worth, so she's... The one of the longest running continuity strips or comic page soap operas, uh, which wait, is a, wait, I'm sorry, that's a thing. I'm on MaryWorthComics.com. No, it, it com- what you just yeah. said. Yeah, a comic strip a soap opera. Comic page soap opera. Wow. It was. It started in 1938, and what their website says is that it's a genre dedicated to millions of readers who thrive on continued stories told in brief daily episodes with cliffhanger endings. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to being like, oh, this is what this person's dealing with on this day has nothing to do with it. It is a full-on soap opera. So every week is something added to it. It's not Garfield. Exactly. So it centers on a 60-something woman, Mary. She's a widow and a former teacher. She lives in a condominium in fictional Santa Royale. She has a penchant for advice and helping those around her in an almost Pollyanna-like fashion. And one of my favorite things they say about it is past stories have been confronted social issues such as juvenile delinquency, drug addiction, grieving the death of a spouse, alcoholism, infidelity, concerns of the elderly, and the generation gap. Wow. And something they say is, the reader is asked to remember that Mary Worth's stories are not about Mary. They are about a continuing parade of people who enter her life. If you look closely, you may recognize one of your neighbors or even yourself. So apparently she did give really good advice. <laughs> Go Eldon. Yeah. <laughs> But then he starts laughing at the Bullseye comic. And it's a new one. He thinks it's doing very well. He's very excited because today's show's a woman. And she's in a tight little cowgirl outfit. And she's chasing a guy with a mic in one hand and a lasso in the other. And he says in this kind of southern accent, I've got a hankering for a hunk. Which I found interesting because later we see that one. And it says, I got a hankering. And I love the Pastorelli. Couldn't help but correct it to, I've got a hankering. Jersey. Jersey. And you see Murphy realize what's happening. And she does this thing where she's clearly holding in a spit take. She looks ill. She looks like she's going to choke. Well, she looks like she's trying not to let it out and control it, which then looks like she's about to choke slash be sick. <laughs> it's very confusing. And she they have this great little thing where she gets she holds herself together. She says, Eldon, may I see that, please? He says, in due time, I'm not finished yet. And she says, but I really want to see it. <laughs> and then proceeds to tear it out of his hands and announces the adventures of Mouthy Brown... And that's Eldon has the best read, where he goes, wait a minute, the hair, the mouth, that real big head, that could be you. It, that is you! <laughs> and she's upset because it doesn't look like her, she thinks. And she says, what kind of hair is that? And nobody's mouth is that wide. And she says, you know what, he can't even draw. He says, I see why you're upset. He, he drew everything big but your chest. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes about her chest in yeah. the show. Mm-hmm. And Murphy does this great, you know, her... A typical kind of out loud dealing with situation, trying to plan her attack at over at the mantle. And she says she has two choices. She can let it bother her or she can be flattered. And she decides to be flattered. And she says, you know what? He's in lampooning Leslie Stahl and she's more well known. Which 
Mm, that makes a little sense for the time period. Oh, I think she's faking this whole thing. Oh, no, she's faking the whole thing, but she's making a good argument, is what I'm saying. Sure. She's, she's selling it. She's, she's, mm-hmm. She does sell it to everybody in the office, so she's clearly prepping herself. Yeah, everyone knows she everyone hates it. Everyone to the audience. Yeah, yeah, the audience knows she hates this. It's kind of what Corky inadvertently does later, where she goes into it like, it just means I've made it. It just means that I'm more well-known. Yeah. It means I'm, I'm a person. And so she needs to develop a sense of humor about these things. And then she does her like little like fake, ha, 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 what I call her Kermit mouth laugh. <laughs> totally. That's right. <laughs> and the entire audience, and including Eldon, is like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, she has a very anchor voice through most of this episode. Yes. Yeah. So we, we cut to the office. Murphy comes off the elevator. Jim is very worried. You know, he, he doesn't know what she's going to think. He wants to know if she's seen it, you know. But as Murphy has explained to Craig, the parking attendant, Ernie, the janitor, and Murray, the newsstand guy, which again, we've explained is continuity. (laughs) She thinks it's funny. Jim says, oh, good for you. I have to admit I found it funny, too. You, a floozy in hot pants chasing some Madonnas with your lariat. Darn, it just tickled me. And your lips look like some giant plunger. (laughs) Miles comes in, you know, he assures her that there's nothing in the papers. And Jim says, you don't read the funnies. Like, what's going on? He does this face that he does again, where he's... He does like a face laugh where he doesn't completely laugh. And he just kind of does like, but it looks like a grimace because Jim can't ever let loose. So he does this like purse with his face. Charles <laughs> Kimber has some really good reactionary like background things. Oh, so good. Once we get to Phil's, there was a point. I'm sorry, I didn't watch a lot of him in the background because I was watching. Mm-hmm. I was watching other things, and there's a masterclass going on about what to do when you're not doing anything. Charlie Kimbrough, man, he is just living his best life. Theater in the acting. So everyone in the office has a copy, so Miles reads it. It's The Adventures of Mouthy Brown, which he obviously thinks is hilarious, but he has to say, it's terrible. But she assures him that, you know, it's fine. Corky comes off the elevator. She, you know, Murphy must be furious. And you see Miles just, like, laughing behind Corky. It's, it's, it's pretty hilarious. But again, Murphy wants to assure everybody that she's fine, she's fine with it. It's not making a big deal. Then Frank comes in, and the look on Murphy's face, because she knows what's coming, It's the friendship face. Oh, it's the best part is, you see her already ready for it, but yeah. then it's his delivery of just, hi, Corky, hi, Miles, and then the dot, dot, dot as the camera cuts to Murphy. Almost rolling her eyes to the side. Just, just waiting, waiting for it. And then he knows she's waiting for it, hence he's milk. It's this thing where they just know each other. Yeah, I love that. I love that history. He then mocks her. Decides Murphy decides she has to make an announcement to everyone that she's not bothered by it. It's not every day you get to hang out with Dick Tracy. And that if she was home, she'd put it on her refrigerator. Exactly. Which she takes and she pastes it to her door. And then off the elevator comes her secretary, a meek, small Jewish man. The wonderful job. Is it Pace or Pius? I don't know, but he's amazing. I love him. I mean, he's been in everything. Yeah, if people aren't aware... Um, he's a ton on Younger. Grant appears on Younger. He a stew on uh, Ray Donovan, which is something that Jay Thomas appeared on. He's been on Psych. He was recurring on Law and Order, The Mothership, as well as SVU. He was on Hope and Faith with Faith Ford. He's a Ferengi. Yes. Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And this is his third IMDb credit. It's crazy. He's so young. He played Phil Pepe in The Bronx is Burning, which is a great miniseries on uh, New York in 1977. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about 1977 when we get to a certain episode. Um, I also have an intense love of Psych to the point that I've seen Josh Pius in so many things throughout my life. And the first thing I thought about was the episode of Psych he was in because he's so funny. He's that guy, too. You just like you like he walked out the elevator and went, oh, that guy. And he's just his delivery. 
is hysterical in this episode. Yeah. As Jerry, or as we like to call him, secretary number 18. 18! 18. 18, yo! Man. 18 for episode 18. Yeah. Ooh, Nailing it. Actually lined up. Yep. I love the... He just looks petrified because he's shocked by her reputation in the comics. Yes, she goes, oh, it's a joke. It's a joke. But she puts her arm around him. Let's go in her office, my office and do some dictation. He's terrified. He's he looks back terrified. like he's going to get murdered. Also, I quickly want to say, because he says, they go back and forth saying cartoons and comics. And just for clarity, yes. um, a cartoon is a single panel image used to convey an idea. A comic is a story told with sequential panel images. So a comic strip is a sequences, mm-hmm. and a cartoon is a single. Which so is why we say a political cartoon or a political comic would have multiple. Gotcha. Oh, that's interesting. Now, they, some people do go back and forth using the term cartoon strip or comic strip, but it should. it's generally, it's a comic strip, it's a cartoon. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Thank you, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse for the win. Jesse for the random info. So a little later, we're back in the bullpen, and Jim comes in. And he, everyone's now just jolly that Murphy's in on this. He says, oh, she missed a good night. He and Brinkley met Roger Mudd at the, cre- at the press club. He said, we must have laughed all night. And she's like, oh, Roger Mudd laughed. Apparently, Roger was just having a blast describing the cartoons of her. And Brinkley laughed so hard that beer came out of his nose. And he does his little, like, face grimace laugh again, which is just the best. And... He says, what was it David said? How many Murphy Browns does it take to ensnare the Sixth Fleet? (laughs) And Murphy says, Jim, I'm kind of busy. He does his great, like, I love you slugger moment where he says, you know, Murphy, there's a time when you wouldn't have taken this so well. And he tells her that she's setting a standard for all the young people around there. so good. And he says, I'm awfully proud of you. I just went, oh, Jim. Jim. So now Murphy obviously can't break because she's making Jim proud. And as she passes, two of the office guys pass through and one says, two, one to man the life raft and one to set the ships on fire. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great structure for a joke. That was like, we're not going to get it. And then they just sweep on through. It was brilliant. So Murphy goes to Jerry and tells him, oh, okay, there's so much to do. We need to stay late to get the work done. And Jerry Barden just goes, oh boy. And he says he has to speak to her. He's noticed the way she looks at him. And you could hear the audience was just starting to lose it. Like when you asked me to get the file on the shuttle program, the file in the bottom drawer, so I'd have to bend over to get it. And she does this really sweet little, like, Jerry. <laughs> like she's almost more invested in his reaction of his. And he says, I know you're a big star and you're used to getting what you want. But when I finally give myself to a woman. And here's my favorite he thing pauses, about He pauses, though. He goes, exactly. My before favorite- I give myself to a woman <laughs> and pauses. And what I love, this is a pro move of a theater or a character actor. And what we talked about with Megan Mullally when she acts is he does this pause and the way he does, it's, he's acting through the pause. He like does this thing where he kind of like looks over and he kind of is adjusting his waistband a little bit. But what it does is it makes it so that the pause doesn't feel like it's for the laughter, even Mm -hmm. though it absolutely is. It gives it just enough time, but it seems like it's just informing the sincerity of what he said. He's like, when I finally give myself to a woman, and then he looks over to the side, and he gives plenty of time, and then he comes in naturally. It's it's excellent acting work. It's just somebody who knows what they're doing has taken the time to understand the form he's acting in. And I love how Candace sort of pauses. Mm. Well, oh, sorry, wait. And so he says, it's it's going to be for love. And Candace does this pause. Big pause, but the way that she sort she of moves her... She bites her upper lip. And moves her eyes and her mouth, and... You see this, like, 
progression of emotion. <laughs> this thought process. Like, do I do it? I want to do it. You I see have the to moment do it. that she just goes, but I do love you, Cherry. And it's like the biggest applause. Just, and I'm not wearing any underwear. HR. And Jerry just takes off. But again, <laughs> can never get away with that today. Nope. Uh, it's so funny. It's so funny. And I do appreciate that it's both of these moments like that, the casting call for the, the hunk at the beginning who's only there to be hot, the secretary who gets very rudely hit on are, are both men. No, we're not. We, we did it to some men. That's called equality. I'm guessing that the casting call for Secretary 18 said nebbish. I believe so. Because then they nailed it. So she smiles and is happy as he runs off to the elevator and takes off. Bye, Jerry. And heads into her office where Frank meets her and he's holding a white t-shirt. And he's so excited. He got the last one. And it's a shirt with Mouthy Brown on it saying looking for a few good hunks and he says i'm so glad i got the last one i thought you would want it and she holds it and she again very calmly can you close the door and he shuts the door and turns around and i can't believe frank doesn't see this coming it's amazing she really fooled him well it's probably been a while you know they really uh-huh. think that she's grown and she's I, they're all so proud of her yeah and she and i just have this in all caps i will not yell this in all caps but she proceeds to rant and says, I can't stand it. I made one slip in 10 years and suddenly I'm the laughing stock of broadcasting. What's wrong with these people? I got awards, citations, and now they, all they want to do is look at this stupid cartoon. What's the matter with them? And Frank goes, is this a bad time? And she continues, I've had criticism and bad press, but this O'Shea guy takes the cake. If I wanted this kind of ridicule and abuse, I would run for vice president. Ding. Ding. And right out of that, Miles enters. And he is in stitches because the affiliate in Miami wants her to be a judge for the Mr. Swimsuit contest. And he proceeds to pose and pose and pose. I do love that moment. It is it's his really physicality great. is hysterical. Yeah. I have to add, too, I, mm-hmm. I really feel like Murphy was going to be upset and not find it funny either mm-hmm. way. Absolutely. But I feel like what bugs her the most is that she made one slip up. They're and it just, wasn't that bad. She wasn't insulting the yeah, guy. They're, <laughs> they're not you know, making fun of something that she just does all the time. Mm-hmm. It's something that she was really deep down inside does hate that it happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, she hates it. Yeah. She hates that she got, especially she got caught saying such a pedestrian term mm-hmm. that it wasn't like she's been caught on air insulting people in bad behavior. And this is the thing that makes her a laughing stock. Yeah. I can totally understand why she's upset. Mm-hmm. And I love the building in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's not one of my favorite episodes, but I, I do enjoy the building of the structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get to the, the last build yes. later. Yeah. So she says she doesn't think that's very funny. She thinks what is funny is the image of Miles eating a t-shirt 42 long, all cotton. That's funny. Yes. And she's she's like in his face and holding it up. Classic Murphy. Uh, And then we get a joke that we knew was coming, which is he turns to Frank and says, is it the 18th already? I meant to check. That's the same date from last time, right? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Continuity with Murphy Brown's period. Good job, guys. Thanks, guys. I also appreciate it because we've talked about loving the fact after, and especially after conversations with Corby about making jokes about women's health and their reproductive systems mm-hmm. in the norm. And what I love is when I listen to this joke, the loudest laughs in the audience are from the women. And then it's coupled with they go to open the door and then there's a group of girls outside giggling outside the door at the comics that are pasted on her door. And I want to say that... Maybe this wasn't intentional, but from a critical eye place, I'm going to say that I think this was brilliant 
to make a joke at women's expense and then have it immediately punctuated with women outside laughing. It's also a very Murphy Brown when she just yells at them to get away. Mm -hmm. And we haven't gotten a lot of those moments in Mm -hmm. the first season that we'll eventually get more of later on. Mm -hmm. And it was it was a joy. And so she goes outside and reveals that she is a very, 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 very bad sport. And she is going to call O'Shea. I'm sure it's in the script, mm-hmm. but the comic of her the, of all the varies is that she's pulling the comic strips yes. off yes. as she says it, and it's brilliant. Yes, I forgot to write that as I was writing the varies. I love that. And so she says she's going to call up O'Shea. Miles and Frank are worried about this, and Miles says, you know, if you go in with guns blazing, he'll have more ammunition against you. And she says, no, I'm just going to talk to him. He'll see that there's a real person there, and it's hard to take shots against someone you like. <laughs> and Frank says, you're forgetting something. What you're describing requires a certain amount of self-control on your part. So she says, I have self-control. I do. I love the way she says it. Mm-hmm. It's very matter-of-fact and very just like, hey, it's I'm bre- a professional. I'm breezy. Yeah. You're not breezy. I, no. Murphy's not breezy. No. And she turns to the phone and says, good morning. Pat O'Shea, please. And then we cut to Phil's. Phil's. Only it's a cartoon of Phil. And he's laughing at a cartoon. And then it so disappears. Happy. And it's actually Phil in the same position. It was a cartoon over the thing. And so then, happy. I love this effect. I do. But I feel like we, I wish we'd had a third one. I Rule wish it had started earlier. Exactly. Yeah, I wish it had started early. And two seems a little off. It made me actually go back and be like, wait, did I miss these earlier? Because yeah, I was typing? I feel like particularly in comedy three. Even uh, though yes. it's, yeah. And then Murphy comes in and, and Phil has to pretend that he doesn't find it funny and he's not actually reading, you know, Mouthy Brown. But Murphy says that it's fine, you know, and she's actually meeting, you know, O'Shea. And Phil is, is very, very worried. And if I also may say, we, we have a bit of a copy error, hmm. or I should say not error, but problem, whereas probably I'm guessing it's the A camera because there's A, B, C, and X. Mm-hmm. And there are all these lines yeah and what that happens once in the pilot Mm -hmm. and it makes me sad that something obviously happened to the original and they couldn't even fix it yeah yeah it makes me sad yeah but i don't think we ever see that again but that's just a note on the dvd so phil is is really worried uh it's the height of lunch hour (laughs) and and he he hopes that the fight that she has with o'shea is not as bad as the one she had with fawn hall Mm -hmm. and he could lose his license (laughs) And, and she goes, oh, come on, Phil, haven't you noticed how much I've changed in the last year? And he goes, no. <laughs> and just the way he says it, this is really no. funny. I have too. <laughs> so then O'Shea enters. Uh, no, close the door, by the way. I know. Should we have a moment of silence for close the door? Mm-hmm. That's not silence. Sorry. The door has been closed. Unclose the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's much better than what I could have done. <laughs> I, I've been bested. I wrote Requiem for Close the Door. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and last, you know, they meet, they sit down, you know, and he wasn't sure if it was such a good idea. You know, he's never met anyone he's lampooned in his strip before. But I just appreciate the amount of times that lampooned gets said. It is good. Lampoon. Lampooned. And Murphy's using her anchor voice. And, 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 you know, he's shocked that she found it funny. Oh, no, it's okay. I'm fine with the, st- the strip. And, you know, as if, oh. This is who I am. No big deal. Uh, Then Jim and Frank show up in probably one of my favorite parts of the episode as a little sort of clump. And uh, they know who she's meeting, but yet when they meet him, they go, ooh, in sort of this sort of awkward way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, they're obviously all there to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder at that because they all came to 
be there for it. Yeah, but, but it was still funny. to someone. I mean, I guess he's not somebody who's probably known by what he looks like, but still, who else would she be talking to? Yeah, but it was still really funny the way they were like, oh, okay, hi, mm-hmm. huh. Um, and Frank acts like sort of a big brother, I feel, you I know. Wrote, gets all mob boss. He does, <laughs> that's right. There, yeah, yeah. It's, he's the Italian's coming yeah, out, Mr. Like, Fontana. This kind of like, I know where you live and I can make you disappear yeah. kind of thing. Murphy and I have been friends for a long time and I'd hate to think anyone was making fun of her. <laughs> and then I love, Murphy just goes, Frank. <laughs> With her eyes sort of off to the side. And he puts his hand out, you know, like, no, 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 I got this. Mm-hmm. And I, I always sort of find it fascinating because people like uh, Murphy, like C.J. Craig, surround themselves with a lot of men. Mm-hmm. And as strong as they know that she is, they feel this sort of manly need to protect. Yes. And it's sort of fascinating to me because I don't think they think she needs protection. No, it, but they want to because they care. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I don't see it as any sort of um, misogynist thing. I yeah. see it from a sense of love. It always seems to come from a... there's. Even his reaching out like that doesn't come across as like a don't worry little lady kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's Don't stop me. Exactly. It's a it's an equal defending an equal and there is definitely a difference in the in the tone. Mm-hmm. Um but then shocking Frank O'Shea is a big fan and he's really sort of taken aback and I really love Joe in this moment because he he's fighting the urge to protect his friend but also the ego oh my god he loves his compliments he loves his compliments and and you know Frank is a little insecure he's so proud of his work yeah and so for someone to tell him that he did a good job I mean ego is the biggest issue with all of these people particularly Murphy but Frank doesn't get the love a lot and he doesn't really know what to do and it sort of ends with you know um, him trying to stand up for Murphy but then you know sort of hitting O'Shea on the chest and going you know man I I love your work love your work and then Jim goes into this wonderful speech that again I think I like to leave the Jim stuff for Jesse because she loves it so much I also appreciate I wrote Jim Jim's own story derails him (laughs) like he was ready to stand up and just gets lost in his own thing as he does but O'Shea is thrilled to meet him of course and Jim says you know when I was a teenager I worked as a copy boy in the same office as the editorial cartoonist. What a colorful man. First day he ordered me into his office and told me to get three ink dryers before deadline. I I spent the entire day racing from one office to the other looking for those darn things. Well, you know, and then he does this thing where he turns to the rest. He goes, well, you know, there are no such things as ink dryers. Just a gag you like to pull on the new copy boy. And then he turns to center with this grave face. And he says, naive boys, hardworking boys. Boys for whom this new job meant everything. That mean, vindictive, dirty little man. And he turns back to O'Shea, who's still staring at him. He's like, not that all cartoonists are like that. And just loses any ground he had. (laughs) My favorite thing is the idea that they, and I've said this before, make Jim like an anchor in his real life. Yes. And then when we meet Doris, she's pretty much the same. (laughs) They're the same, and I love it. Just everything he says, all of his stories just have this grave lesson. Yeah. Murphy asks for some privacy, and then Miles interrupts before she can even real sort of talk to O'Shea. And I'm noticing how high pitched his voice is this episode. It's so high. And then that's Miles, but I was just maybe he just all of a sudden decided to do that more, and so I'm not used to it. Maybe it's the inspiration for the Yipper Dog. Oh, maybe. Maybe he's playing. Maybe Grant was playing into that. Yeah, sounding like an excited little dog. Uh, and and Miles makes it seem like he just happened to be there, and then he has lunch there every day, and it's just very keeps repeating obviously. That it's every day. Yeah, this is where I come. This is what I do, and it's very obvious that he's just there to check up on Murphy mm-hmm. and be sure that she doesn't embarrass the show. So then everyone's in the back booth, sort of watching and waiting. Can I share my one thing I'm proud of Miles for? Sure. He's he turns to me and goes, "She can laugh at herself." You know, it's the really secure ones that can do that, Patrick. Yeah, the way he says, 
the fact he says Patrick, it makes me so happy. I was like, good job, Miles. You almost won me back. (laughs) So Murphy leans in and I feel makes a um, strategical error. Yeah. In which she gets a little too full of herself. How, you know, it's important to know when enough is enough. And if you're not too careful, people are going to start, stop thinking you're clever and start thinking you're mean. When she said that, I just went, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I won't. Oh, and wow, Murphy, mansplain much? Yep. Should we quickly talk about the actor who plays Pat O'Shea? Yes. I also appreciate that he says, thanks for Mouthy. May she rest in peace. Yes, before he leaves, he, he, he decides that he's going to take her advice. And he so appreciates mm-hmm. that she took the time. Although doing a really great job as an actor so that it's only when you watch it after knowing what happens that you know he's laying it on thick. It yeah. seems very like he's earnest. I believe him. I believe him too. Like I actually, jumping a little bit ahead, but I, I had a moment where I was like, oh, he's absolutely going to razz the others, but he won't do it to Murphy. Because they actually have an understanding and now everyone mm, else is screwed. That's interesting. Like that, And now she can't say it. Like, I was trying to remember what happened. I was like, oh, maybe it's that he respects Murphy and now everyone else gets lampooned. So he is played by Bragg Procaccino. And what's super interesting is that his biggest thing is being in Tanner 88. Mm-hmm. And if people aren't familiar with Tanner 88, Tanner 88 was a Showtime um, series um, sort of very early on with a young Cynthia Nixon. Mm-hmm. And it's a political mockumentary. It's a, um, I guess they called it more of a miniseries by Gary Trudeau, who did Doonesbury, who's yeah. a, a cartoonist. And so I thought, wow, what a great connection there, because he doesn't have that many IMDb credits. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, this, and then later they did, in 2004, they did a sort of reunion series called Tanner on Tanner. Mm-hmm. And it was very ahead of its time. You know, now sort of the mockumentary is this big thing. And Uh this really started it, um, particularly, you know, political type. And actually, uh, Aaron Sorkin says that Tanner 88 was a really great influence on the West Wing. Which we were thrilled about. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, it it was during the 88 election. So Uh it really sort of was supposed to be that he was running alongside all of the real life people. And there were lots of appearances. People like Bob Dole, Linda Ellaby were in it. And so I thought that was really interesting that he has a connection to not only a political thing, but also a cartoonist. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Yeah, And Gary Trudeau actually went on to write Alpha House, which is a great Amazon series, which is a political uh, comedy. Um, So, yeah. So we cut back to the FYI offices, and we have another cartoon opening. And this one is of Jim. And I know you have something to say about it before we continue no, on. No, say, say your thing first, because mine's a little, little oh. joke. I well, no, up. mine is just that I love this cartoon of Jim looking like a steaming kettle of a person. So much so that it is... Oh, no, it's... It's, it's now the background on my computer. It's her desktop. <laughs> Oh, I love you, I just Justin. had to show her because yeah. I love it so no, much. I wrote I, I, I wrote down that much like Jim's pressed suit, he steamed. He steamed. <laughs> oh, wait, should I explain that steam's coming out of his, his ears before I tell that joke? Uh, no, it's great. Okay. Copyright, Lauren Milberger. <laughs> I love it so much. I thought you'd appreciate that. And so he's, we then fade into the real world where he is not actually physically steaming, but mm-hmm. he's coming in and goes, oh, boy, oh, boy. And he is angry, and I love Angry Jim. And he asks Miles if he's seen the funnies today, and he says, I open up the, he's like, our, our little friend the cartoonist has been at it again. And he says, I open up the darn thing, and there I am, drawn like some doddering has-been, hunched over the news desk in an ill-fitting cardigan, the old gas bag of broadcasting. Which, my heart breaks for Jim, because you know, like, irrelevance is, like, his great fear. And the idea of being mm-hmm. the old man who's out to pasture. It it, it speaks to O'Shea's age. Mm-hmm. 
And also, I, I want to say, like, of all of these, I think that one, even though Miles gets turned into a dog, I think that Jim's is the meanest. So very quickly, I always go back and forth because I think, is Miles that known to be lampooned? But then I think of uh, producers like Gelman from mm-hmm. Reaches and Kathy Lee, who sort of, you know, became yep. a character in the show and was known. But particularly, I think Jeff Zucker, when he ran the Today Show. Mm-hmm became more of a personality and people knew. So I yeah. guess it's possible people know who Miles is. Well, I think also, it. I don't think they need to know Miles as much because he's already established Mouthy Brown and now saying that her gang is, like, I don't even think that they would necessarily need to know him as much as they might ne- have needed to know him as they did for Mouthy Brown. The idea that, like, these are the hapless people that she works with as an added joke. I think serves to lampoon him. Okay, I can see that. I guess I felt like in today's world, if he wasn't like a Jeff Zucker or like a Gelman, they just wouldn't bother to put him in the cartoon. I do think that today wouldn't work, I, unless you knew him. I feel like maybe then, because I feel like it's it's a further joke against her, and therefore it kind of works. But I do see what you're saying with that, mm-hmm. because I do think that he's less known. He's yeah. not on air. So I'm going to assume that he is like a Jeff Zucker. Yeah. And there were probably interviews about this like up and coming little yeah. thing. And that's where I always saw Miles um, before the revival. I thought that maybe he had sort of gone a path like Jeff Zucker. Mm-hmm. And not that he was running the network, but mm-hmm. that like he kind of, you know, went up in sort of the rungs. Like, yeah, I mean, he did. has ambition, so I would see that. Yeah. And Miles tells him to have a sense of humor. And he goes, oh, so you haven't seen it. Look closer, Miles. The little dog with the glasses and the blue blazer in her lap. He's so giving it to Miles. Just giving it to I love it. He's he's so upset. And he Miles is like, no, that can't be me. And he goes, come on, Miles, wake up and smell the Alpo. Also, is Alpo still a a current dog food reference? Oh, I don't know. Because I don't have a dog. I knew it growing up. Same. We never fed them Alpo. But I knew it growing up, and I feel like the last time I heard it referenced in anything was never been kissed. Yeah, it, it sort of became in comedy kind of... Dog food is Alpo. Yeah. Like, I wonder if people use it anymore. We should find out. Right? Frank walks in and he does this great punctuating where he walks in and thrusts out the paper. goes, have you seen this? Turns out that in every newspaper from Fort Lauderdale to Vancouver, which is an excellent... I love that they went diagonal with the country instead of straight across. That he is dressed like some Robin Hood in a tri-cornered hat, a feather boa, and that striped leotard number. Just what's that supposed to mean? And what is he getting at when he says, I prance for justice? The Jersey accent really comes out with the word prance there. And Miles says, I'm a dog. He says, well, at least the dog looks like you. Then Miles says, I don't have ears like that. And Jim goes, but the eyes are good. I love that it's all serious. Well, that's really, and then then he's like, what, what? You know, with with the no words, it's Uh great. So they are so cute together in this. Yeah. And Murphy comes out, she's very holier than thou, and says that they're all supposed to, aren't they all supposed to have self-control? It's fine, just laugh at it. And Jim just goes, I want him dead. Yeah, that was, <laughs> again, when Jim gets upset, Jim goes it's, out there. They all have egos. O'Shea's good at his job because he did the single worst thing you could do to Jim, is tell him that he's irrelevant and old. Well, that's usually what trolls, mm-hmm. bullies, they know how to take your worst insecurity and just, like, get to the bone of it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it bothers you so much. They know exactly how to hurt you mm-hmm. and make it, like, it's that thing of the the knife that then twists. Yeah, but also blue jacket, olive dress. Oh, I love it so I'm obsessed with this outfit. I would wear this tomorrow. I love it. And then the, the, the sort of horse pin. Yeah, the re- horse brooch. It, com- it comes thing. back. Yeah. I want. I love this outfit. I would wear it in a second. They're all sitting down, you know, Murphy's laughing at them. And Corky comes in. I love that Corky over time starts adopting like the linebacker walk a little bit. But she also, this purple jacket is mean to her. It makes her look padded. It does. Not a fan. I love the color. I hate the fit. So she looks like a little linebacker strolling in and I don't like it. But I wrote, 
with a white turtleneck, God, I love a turtleneck. Well, I mean, I've established that I'm not a fan of the that sort of short little jackets that she wears. Yeah. They look fine on her. They I'm look not good a on fan. Her. Yeah. Not for my body. Yeah. It makes me just look like a tomato. Mm-hmm. Corky comes in and she looks just, you think she's pissed. It's well set up. Good job, Faith. And she says that she has worked long and hard to gain the same kind of acceptance in this business as Murphy, which I'm like, yeah, Corky. And she says, and when I saw myself dressed up like a pom-pom girl in a nationally syndicated strip, I said, Corky Sherwood, you have made it. I tell you, I got goose flesh. I could have cried. And I would have if it wasn't for Frank's picture. Nice tights, Frank. And she does the same little squinch face as Jim. But also the way she says nice tights, Frank, she sounds like um, Lily Tomlin. Yes. One ringy dingy. (laughs) I was so proud of her. But also, and before she responds, I just, I wrote that Corky, I swear, she continually, unintentionally has the, instinctually has the best perspective. But then she always derails it right after. But there's a lot of like moments of truth that we've seen already come out of Corky that instinctually she has the right perspective. And then she says some, they they comedically do something that kind of derails her a little bit. But her first instinct to be like, you know what? I'm getting lampooned. I've made it. Is actually the best way to go about this. From the mouth of babes. Yes. But she also respects Murphy. This mm-hmm. is what it's about. But Murphy, you said, she's like, no, it's it's a put down. <laughs> But the pom-poms, the megaphone, the Miss America sash, she's so, <laughs> she's like, but, but, but I love the way she goes, but the pom-poms, <laughs> the megaphone. What I also love is that, like you said, like she, she got the same thing that Murphy did. So therefore, she's closer to being equal with her. Yeah. But I love that she just, she doesn't get it. But she's also taking Murphy's word for it. Yeah, she's like, but oh, Murphy said it was. Murphy said it was fine. That we're supposed to laugh at yeah. it. Yeah. But I love it. She's doing what Murphy was pretending to yeah. do. All the, you know, she doesn't see the nuance of it no. yet. No. And just, then after the Miss America sash, there's a dot, dot, dot. It hits her and she turns to Miles and goes, this is all your fault, Fido. I love that. Oh, it's so good. Murphy says that she's going to be the voice of reason, that they have to rise above, which feels very Michelle Obama. I wrote the same thing. Yes. Yeah. I was like, when they go Look, low, we go high. Literally wrote this is very Michelle Obama. I wrote, I wrote, Michelle Obama, when they go low, we go high. I wrote, this is very Michelle Obama of Murphy. <laughs> go Murphy. It's true. And she says, no one, and nobody cares that she's saying this. They all want him dead now. Yeah, they grumble, grumble. And she says, fine, she will, she will give it some thought. And she starts heading over to her office. And then she does this great pause with like her hand on the door with space in the frame. So then all of a sudden, a cartoon thought bubble with a light bulb goes off. <laughs> I guess we can count that as our third. I guess, I guess but we can it's count not it. the same. It's not the same, and I, I really kind of wanted to see them all as caricatures, and there are so yeah, many scenes. It in doesn't. This. It yeah, it doesn't count as my third. No, nope. sorry guys. Sorry, yeah. we're taking it back. We do not forgive. It. We're honest on the Murphy Brown podcast. Yeah, yeah. We're just like Murphy would be. Exactly. So we cut to O'Shea's office, which is a classic front page, mm-hmm. windows all over the office type newspaper office. Yes, it is right out of the tropes. Yeah. Murphy knocks on the door with a steel suitcase. It's and intimidating. He has to excuse himself. He's got a deadline. And his his demeanor has definitely changed. Oh, also, I have to say, we're, when I was talking about the building structure, mm-hmm. I feel like this whole scene is because, okay, now you went after my friends. That's yeah. what this is about. Yeah. Now it, it's coming up. It's building, it's building, it's building. I hate this, I hate this, but 
now you went after the people that I love, so now this is going to be really a problem. Exactly. Other than the fact that she knows that he lied directly to her face, which is exactly. an issue. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he's decided that he knows what FYI means. It means four yakking imbeciles. <laughs> which, I mean, good, good word use. Yeah, but, you know, there are other people to lampoon. I, I've had enough with this jerk, too. I do um, like So he has them all on the yellow brick road. It's because he's so cocky. Exactly. I hate it. Wizard of Oz reference. Yes. Thank you, Norm. Good job, Norm. Yeah. Um, and he's just about to draw the monkeys swooping in to get Miles. He's a tiny dog. Yeah. And she goes, you know, it seems like we never had our talk. But he won't stop now. I mean, sh- Malfi Brown is the best thing to happen to his career. She takes the suitcase and she puts it on the table. The loud slam. Mm-hmm. But he, he's not intimidated by her. He's not worried. You know, he knows she has a public image to protect and she won't do anything. And she goes, you are new in town. You are new in town. Mm-hmm. He just wishes he was around before she was in Betty Ford. Oh, that is. And then. That's when you know he's a piece of crap. Exactly. And that's a great thing because then when you go, okay, all right, we are done with you. Yep. As you an are audience mean. member, you're like, oh, you piece of yeah. shit. Yeah. And I, that line I feel like was very, very important, oh, yeah. which we'll talk about in a moment mm-hmm. what Corby and Norm think about yeah. this this scene. Mm-hmm. And Murphy goes, you're just mean. And he goes, yeah, and I'm real good at it. I can put people anywhere, have them say anything, the ultimate power. And then he goes, you know what the best part is? I'm going to get rich doing it. Mm. Also, I love that behind the glass there's a crowd gathering. And based on how much they seem to be enjoying this already before stuff goes down, I think they all hate him too. I mean, aside from just like a crowd gathers. Yeah, I'm sure he's not a nice guy. But I have a feeling, yeah, based on how he, like he is not just somebody who writes jokes that some people can't take. He's clearly actually a jerk. And I think that, I think his uh, building mates don't like him too much. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't write it down, but there's a great point while he's talking that she... Clicks, clicks open the, the suitcase. Like, she's just, no matter what he says, she's just getting ready. Murphy, in general, has great punctuation mm-hmm. with things, like with the comics earlier, and even with... The, it's a comic timing. Yeah, and with, with Frank coming in with the paper. Like, there's a lot of very well-punctuated moments. Everyone has great comic timing. So, she came over here to, you know, let him have it. And out of the suitcase comes a balloon filled with motor oil. 40 weight. Mm-hmm. Here, catch. Throws it. He's sitting in the chair by then. He catches it. And then she pulls out the one that she's really fond of. <laughs> bees. Big bees. Bad bees. Problem, Problem bees. <laughs> and then just slides it down the desk. I wrote a giggle for myself, which is that they have a sound effect of bees buzzing mm-hmm. when she takes it out. I'm like, it's so cartoonish, that sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> and her favorite, his steering wheel. <laughs> I was going to have a bronze and sit it next to my Spiro Agnew and Anita Bryant's. <laughs> And then she just rolls it down to him. And now he's got this arm full of stuff. Mm-hmm. That she uh, was going to do to him. That's like, that's for me, the key is like, I was going to do this. Yeah. I was going to do this. Like, it's that setup of like. So good. And she goes, but listening to him changed her mind. Your sentence is to have to live with yourself. Oh, I wrote that too. It's so good. This section is so today and it really resonates with me mm-hmm. and because we are getting to a point where many people are arguing the other side of it that going high may not work and that it fuels fascists mm. it's an interesting debate yep i think it's many layered and we won't go into it right now but this is a very timely scene to me he represents trolls right now and so do what you want you know she feels sorry for him you're pathetic, which is a word she likes to use, mm-hmm. and what you do is pathetic. My satisfaction is that I'm the kind of person who doesn't need to crawl in the... Like, he's like a little leech creature. Yeah. 
But then, because she's Murphy, because she goes, oh, what the hell? And takes the inkwell and just dumps it. And it's not like a little inkwell no, for like it's writing. it's a big one. It's a little, like, it's a bucket. <laughs> dumps it all over his head. And then the end credits are a cartoon of Murphy with a eraser. Erasing. And O'Shea kind of like taped to the paper. And she's, you know, erasing, erasing him. him. The end credits have the real cartoon. Yes. Of the real bullseye that I got a hanker in for a honk, which we will be sharing because somebody may have sent it to us. Uh, but I wanted to comment a little bit on this because like you said, he represents trolls. Something that's been important to me in the last, especially the last year and a half, has been to uh, try to get out of being entrenched on one side or the other and try to figure out how to empathize and look across the aisle or the country. And specifically when she says that you're pathetic and what you do is pathetic. The phrase I came up with was the clarity of the righteous, Hmm. of when you know in your heart that you are right, you're able to shoot down what somebody is doing. And what I thought about is the way that political cartoons of late, there's been a lot of discussion about the efficacy because now we're getting a lot of, well, and also political cartoons have always been polarizing, that's the point. But the idea of, well, if you're the person being lampooned, that person's always going to be the bad guy. But if the political cartoon is on our side, then we love it. Mm -hmm. So I do find it troublesome because I could also see his character being supported by the idea of, well, you are a famous person who gets to yell at people all the time and do all these things and you may not be that likable and maybe the common person does want to see you lampooned a little bit. Yeah, and and that's a little bit of an issue, you know, I talked about the way that Murphy says to him, you know, you're just being mean. Who's to she to say that? You know, yeah. because she has a little more personal stake in it. And and I don't think the show doesn't see that because no, I think the does, way absolutely. that she plays it, that's the moment when Murphy seals her fate yes. and everyone's fate. Um, I do have a couple articles I'm going to post talking about the use of political cartoons. Now, I know that hers is not a political cartoon. Something to clarify. Like, she is not somebody in politics. Yes. She's not, uh, I mean, a, however, her interviews could affect uh, policy making based on what they bring to light, as we see um, in the next episode with a judge. Uh, you know, the, she does have a certain amount of weight while not being an actual politician. But I do think that th- this conversation is important, especially with people being able to write off the other side because they're like, well, they're just being mean to be mean and they don't have a point. One of them is from the New York Times from, I think, 2014. But I I appreciate the commentary of candidates. And I think when we talk about this as well, celebrities, it says, turn themselves into caricatures, opponents counter with their own. And the idea of when you are somebody who's in the public eye, nobody is going to see the, that nuance unless that is your job to be someone who continually shows more of their life, like we do with YouTube and that kind of stuff now. But the idea that to most people, Murphy is a caricature. There's a, sometimes some argument about if you're going to live in the public eye, then you have signed up to be fodder. Uh, there's a, one of my favorite actresses from Battlestar Galactica who plays Kara Thrace. Uh, she actually, when she became an actor, got a, a tattoo on her arm that is uh, Latin for public property. Whoa. Saying that she knows that she's signing up to be in the public eye and has to deal with the repercussions of that. Wow. 
And so something interesting that I think keys into what we're talking about now, this is going to be dropping a little bit later than we're recording it, but uh, most of these articles I'm reading are from June 15th, 2018, is that Rob Rogers, who had been with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette as a political cartoonist since 1993 and had been nominated or a finalist, I should say, for a Pulitzer, was fired because the people running the newspaper felt that his political cartoons were not funny and that they were mean because they were very against Trump Mm -hmm. and they didn't vary. So you have both arguments here. Was he silenced Mm -hmm. or their point of view is he just wasn't funny because he wasn't varying from just Mm -hmm. the same joke. I think something that, and, and like Norm said, this is before trolling was a term and we didn't have the, the kind of, you know, online badgering that we do have now. And I, I think just a larger conversation, because I do think, you know, I am biased in Murphy's favor in this case, especially yeah. because she's not a politician. Of course. And I feel like, yeah, at this point, this person is just mean. And also because we get to see his, we, we get to, in this medium, have him admit and make himself a villain. So we as an audience are kind of forgiven. Like we know what side is right because A, we love Murphy and B, he has admitted that he's a mean person and he likes it and he just wants to be mean. But the Betty Ford comment, I think is what really, we need that. Um, And we needed that to be able to be like, cool, we're we're completely on her side and he is pathetic and he's a mean person. But I think the larger conversation now that is happening that I just want to encourage everyone to consider and open in conversation is what is the difference between trolling and commentary. Agreed. It's getting very gray. People don't really know how to b- debate anymore. No. You know, oh, you hate me personally. No, I'm having a debate. Mm-hmm. I'm having a political debate and therefore it shouldn't be personal. But nowadays it becomes so personal. And I don't know if it's because being at home with your phone and your computer becomes a personal thing, which you talked about mm-hmm. watching television and how it was different than the movies before you had it in your hand because you're always in your, your your home. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's a bigger debate that we don't have time to talk about right now, but it's an interesting discussion to bring up in terms of this episode. Now, something else that's interesting about this episode is it being a revenge story, which I think sort mm-hmm. of keys in a bit to what we're talking about. So if you want to read really quickly what Norm said about that part of the episode, yes. we can discuss it. So Norm says um, earlier he had talked about uh, finding the firsts to write about with Murphy. And he thinks that this episode had to be one for her. Um, Pat O'Shea wasn't afraid of her, and she didn't know how to control that. It would later be the same impetus for giving her breast cancer. Looking back, it feels like we were ahead of our time, using Pat's comic strips as our version of social media. Not to speak for Tom, but we learned something about writing revenge stories. Don't. It's tough making them pay off for the audience, which is something we talked about. We needed that one line to get behind it. We never found a way for Murphy to get back at him in a satisfying way. However, it was sure fun coming up with the drawings and then watching the illustrator bring them to life. He says, my biggest regret was that I never took any of those fantastic drawings. What was he thinking? He says, drawn, by the way, by one of our extras. He was a long-haired, good-looking guy working in the bullpen. I think his name was Peter. Sorry, Peter. (laughs) That's what Norm says. And also, we found out from Corby that she agrees. Yes, and it was something that I hadn't even thought about until they emailed us about this. Mm -hmm. And again, not my favorite episode, but for some reason watching it again after reading their emails, I thought, yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. But there's something very satisfying to have Murphy as your avatar yeah. to get back at bullies. Let's just put aside whether you agree that he's a bully or not, right? But from Murphy's point of view, that is how she sees him. Mm-hmm. And just personally for me, today, maybe even from my past, I don't know, Jesse, I'll have you speak to this as well. Mm-hmm. 
it was actually very satisfying to have Murphy do all that. It absolutely is. It's it's vindicating. It's a thing that I think many of us either don't have the opportunity to do is to face the people or have the, the confidence to do so or the consequences be damned willingness. I would definitely say like I'm while I'm very opinionated, I hate conflict and I don't I wouldn't have had the cojones to go do that. I would have just suffered through. And so to have somebody stand up for themselves in such a way and also be able to like we said about her saying you are small and you are petty in the uh the men's club episode you know having someone be able to say those kind of eloquent comebacks is really satisfying because she isn't just screaming at him she's saying things that are really pointed and well structured and it makes me like yeah i would say it that way too and not just cry And that's why I love that we have her being the good person and saying all that stuff and then going, oh, what the hell? Because Murphy... humanizes. Yeah, it humanizes, but also Murphy is us. Murphy is who we want to be. And so I think a lot of women get satisfaction from watching Murphy because she says maybe what they're not able to say or do what they're not able to do. Totally. Totally. So that's something really interesting that this episode brought up that I think sort of, you know maybe not exactly connects, but sort of parallels the subjects that we're talking about. Also, I forgot to mention, or we forgot to mention, on Murphy's dartboard is a stuffed Garfield. Yes, I forgot to say that. Which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I was just so excited about her ranting. So yeah, that is Funny Scrawl. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for joining us, guys. You can, of course, follow us on social media. We are Murphy Brown Pod at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, You can also, a free way to support the podcast is to rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you. We just recently had several people uh, pop in with really lovely ratings and words, and we just, we see you and we appreciate you. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Please follow and listen to our Spotify playlist. If you don't know how to find the Murphy Brown Empowerment playlist, there is a link on our FIQ on our website, Mm -hmm. which is murphybrownpod.com. And you can email us at murphybrownpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media to find news and information and maybe some contests uh, on Murphy Brown Pod at Instagram, Facebook, and the Twitter. So we will see you next week. We will be doing episode 19, The Unshrinkable Murphy Brown. And we'll see you next week for another edition of FYI, The Murphy Brown Podcast. Mm-hmm.